The Trexperts are back on the road again. As we're our glorious, we're, we're back, sorry. baby. We're back. The Inglorious Live Tour continues back. in 2024. And we're visiting some great cities near you. So don't miss a chance to get exclusive Trexperts merchandise, autograph posters, and see us moderate conversations with the biggest stars in the Trek universe coming to a galaxy or at least a city near you this year, including Richmond, Virginia, Anaheim, California for WonderCon, Oklahoma City, May 24th through 26th, San Diego, California, for Comic-Con with Mark and Ashley, July 24th to 28th. But if Mark and Ashley aren't your cup of tea, well, at, where are they going to find you, Darren? Well, I'm going to be in Raleigh, North Carolina, July 25th through 28th. Me only. Wow. It's the Trexpert tour. You get Darren all to yourself. Yeah, and right. then we'll all be reuniting, and it feels so good, in San Jose, California, August do you know the way? the 18th. I do I know, know the way, way to San Jose. And maybe we'll go up north to look for the nuclear vessels while we're there. Well, and we're bringing it on all home in Columbus, Ohio, December 6th to the 8th. So if you want to know what guests will be joining us and how to get tickets, go to galaxycon.com, comic-con.org, or trexpressplus.com. You'll be glad you did. We'll see you around the galaxy. Join us. Next year. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Doctor. And this is Ashley Miller. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And well, are you ready? Well, that's it. Because the, tra- <laughs> the Thanks for coming, folks. Hey, you should get down on your knees to Starfleet. That's right. That's all I got to <laughs> say. <laughs> and uh, then do what? Get down before the one you serve. And- we're... we're- We're sharing our live discussion with Denise Crosby, live from GalaxyCon, and what a conversation it was. The thing I love about Denise is how candid she is and how honest she is um, about her tenure during Star Trek. The only thing about this interview which demands a sequel, which is just so frustrating, because we didn't get to talk about The Walking Dead or, or, uh, you know, this pet cemetery or your diaries or any of the many other things she did, um, which is fine because we, we we focused on Star Trek, but we ran out of time and didn't get to talk to her about what the hell was she thinking with Sela, and more importantly, <laughs> how the hell did she get Rick Berman to go for it? Yeah. So I'm very that was disappointing. So we'll be saving that we for our more. next. We want more. We want more with more, more. Denise. Uh, but we did talk about Trekkies and we talked about you know, getting cast and, you know, um, we even talked about Christmas songs, you know, which is obviously given her, uh, her family uh, history. Um, What's that has, like at her house? He has prided thyself on thy heritage. Uh, you know, uh, coming from the uh, uh, Bing Crosby uh, f- family. And for those of you who are playing at home, you, I hope you know who Bing Crosby is. Look it up. Yeah, kids. but uh but uh it was a real pleasure it was a real pleasure talking to denise um you know we've run into her a couple of times uh, in our travels but we've never really had the chance to sit down and talk to her even for 50 year mission i believe it was ed gross who talked to her um so uh you know the, the last time i talked to denise crosby this is funny the last time i talked to denise crosby was in 1987 Wow. Uh, when I was on the set of Too Short a Season and I interviewed the entire cast of Star Trek. And um, it's really funny, and I've said this a couple of times, I think, the two people I didn't particularly like when we were th- when I was there was LeVar and Denise. And over the years, and LeVar, I got to tell you, could not be nicer. Yeah. I, I interviewed many times after that. He, I, I, so I don't know if he was stressed or doing too much press or at the time or whatever. A little too much He's LDS. He's a wonderful guy. But yeah. that first time I interviewed him, I remember him being very standoffish. And uh, it was, and, and Denise was also not particularly pleasant. And, and every now time we I'm, know I, why. Yeah, I, I now we know why. Said, now we know why. And it's funny because I remember during the rehearsals, everyone was in uniform except for Denise, who was standing behind the horseshoe in like this white um, halter top. Right. And like, uh, like pants and, and slacks 
and pants. She had some kind of pants, but she was the only one who wasn't in uniform. Frankly, it's I like, don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> but now we know because she was miserable. She was miserable because she wasn't being given anything to do. And when she was, she was being abducted by. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> I'm not even going to go with the code of honor, the code of, you know, the code of, she was, uh, but, um, but she, she actually is very articulate because, you know, it's so interesting in retrospect to talk about code of honor all these years later, because at the time people actually really liked code of honor because it finally had action. It had a Fred Steiner's core. It gave her something to do. They went to a planet. Remember, this is the third episode. Yeah. It's like, oh, something they happened. They fired the torpedoes. You know, now we look at it and everybody says, oh, that episode was embarrassing. It's the, maybe they should take it out of the syndication package, which is like, let's not get carried away. Yes, it's bad. And yes, it's, as we say, problematic. You don't take things out of the syndication package. No. You know, no. I mean, I, you know, the Germans That's took stupid. patterns of force out of the syndication package for years, which was also wrong. Well, um, especially with the, you know, more modern shows, if you take uh, episodes out, you're, Cutting the actors' residuals. Yeah, well, that's. I think we've mentioned that on the, on the, on the, on the, on the thing. But but Denise was. She was very game. She came to play. It was it was great, and the audience was great. Uh, you know, happy to see her. It's really interesting that she has been able to sustain this because people have come and go. People aren't clamoring for um, Diana Muldaur conventions, right? You know, who's oh, in I one know. season and out. And uh, you are, I know you are, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, but what's interesting is she, you know, she was on the show for one season, not a particularly popular season. I, 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 and then she comes back in yesterday's enterprise, which I think yeah. is the root of her popularity. That's absolutely. Yep. And, um, and then of course, um, you know, she, unification, in, um, unification yeah. as well. Part one and two. Well, and don't remind me because that of course is now the, the sailor, the introduction of sailor, which, you know, was just, in my opinion, such a misguided character. I am not a fan of that. I love, you know, I love having Denise on the show. But, you know, if you choose, it's what we said about Leonard. If you choose death, let it be death. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, it was great that they found a loophole in yesterday's Enterprise. But the whole idea, she comes back. It's like something out of a bad soap. He's playing her, you know, the daughter of herself in this alternate universe. It's like. Crazy! It's, it's Star Trek the telenovela. It, it's Star Trek the telenovela, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the telenovela books, and <laughs> it's just, cool. and even you know, Michael Pillar admitted this. I mean, putting that character and that backstory into the Leonard Nimoy returns to Star Trek episode. Yeah, and it it was that was if you were going to do it, that was the wrong place to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. We had a good discussion with Denise Crosby. We did. Would you like to hear it, boys and girls? I would. Let's listen. <laughs> okay. So here comes our live discussion with Denise Crosby um, after his brief commercial messages. And Karen Walker, you can turn it off because it's another interview. The charts show a meteorite field. We have to change course. Activate the Star Treculator. Check. Now you can play Star Trek with a Star Treculator, a digital calculator that never makes a mistake. Batteries not included. Take these numbers. 6,000. 6,000. Check. Divide by 12. (laughs) Check. And that finishes the homework for the day. The Star Treculator. Adds, multiplies, divides, and subtracts by Mego. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? 
Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Caught up in a strange vortex of energy during a celestial probe, the two astronauts were propelled through the time barrier. They landed 2,000 years after their takeoff on a strange continent that had once been known as Earth. From one of the most successful motion pictures ever made comes an exciting new television series, Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. The show is going to have a very strong philosophic base. Mirroring in a strange way what's both good and bad about our own lives. Roddy McDowell, Ron Harper, and James Martin star in Planet of the Apes. Hey, super fans. You can join Terry. <laughs> Terry Farrell, the Trek experts in outer space, as we make the trek to the greatest Star Trek locations of all time. Along of all with time. The, all time. Everywhere <laughs> all time. in the known universe. Along with a galactic gaggle of Trek and sci-fi celebrities, galactic. how much constitutes a gaggle? Well, I don't at, know. At, at least two or three. I have never right. bothered to calculate it. <laughs> well, pre-production has already begun, but you can get some great backer awards and help us get production going this summer by joining us at MakeTheTrek.com today. That's MakeTheTrek.com. And check out everything you can do to support the Trekspurts and Terry Farrell as we boldly go to the greatest Trek locations of all time. We may even tell you what God needs with the starship. The reason we're all here, and we're so delighted to welcome her to the stage, we've never ha had the chance to interview her at GalaxyCon, so this is a first. The wonderfully talented, fantastic, who we've never worked with, we have to remedy that one of these days, Denise Crosby. <laughs> So good to see you. So good to see you. So good to be here. I'm going to ask you a question, which, given your lineage, I would hope you'd have a good answer for. I suspect you will. What's your favorite Christmas song? Oh, no! <laughs> you didn't go there! I guess it's the tis the season. But I will start it off by saying, when I was in my 20s, I was kind of dabbling in punk rock. I did write a song called... Black Christmas. Nice. <laughs> Do you remember the lyrics? <clears throat> uh, okay. We need, like, anybody have an, a really bad electric guitar right now? <laughs> um, <laughs> Jack got five days off this year. His first in 25 years. Something like that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it, it sounds like punk it, rock. It sounds like it has Klingon lineage. <laughs> so no, no, no electric guitars, just Vulcan lead. Lyre. How do they pronounce that? The one that sold the great lead. A liar. Liar. Vulcan liar. Don't call Pants anyone a liar. But Vulcans never tell a lie. Well, there you go. And what exaggeration. are you talking about? The Greg Jean auction was uh, this incredible auction of Star Trek merchandise. Yeah. They, they sold 
what was it? Uh, um, Twelve million dollars, thirteen million dollars, something like that. They yeah. sold everything. Yeah. They right? sold everything. They sold me. <laughs> they sold you yeah. in one form I, or another. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, some guy bought me. You know, <laughs> in Indiana. Wow. I wonder how many. It worked for a little bit, but then you know. I wonder how many times you were an action figure. I mean, when you when you think about it. You mean actual, like, yeah, yeah a modification? Yeah, that's right. Well, oh my goodness, there's the disco one that I really like, the sort of pink glittery, right, kind of one. Um, the Galoob, the original, right. where I po- you know, I took a bazillion hours of photos, and that's what they came up with. <laughs> I look like. Mm. Where you had your boy haircut? Uh, well, I mean, you know, I was sort of a, I was transitioning right. in the Galoob um, yes. <laughs> action figure. Um, then, yeah, there's 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 Sila. There's you know, there's all kinds of. There is Sheila and Tasha and all sorts of figures. <laughs> it's like, you know, the Patty Duke show. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. They walk alike, they talk alike, times they even look alike. They're one. Oh, my God. So, They're mother-daughter. <laughs> well, let's go back to, you know, obviously people want to, you know, and you've told this story a million times, but I want to ask you, when you auditioned for Next Generation, you know, a lot of people don't know that you were on the list for Troy, not for Tasha Yar originally. Yeah, and you know, I've seen subsequently the casting list. And yes, the original auditions, I, I think I read for the part of Troy maybe three times in a long process of five or six auditions by the time the show was cast. But then this casting sheet under Tasha Yar is only my name. You know, there's there's a couple of um, you know people considered for 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 all the other roles, um, but I, they had whittled it down to me for that for that particular role. I think once Gene Roddenberry got it, 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 sort of saw it. You know, he saw it, and and it was that was it. He loved my little short haircut. And, you know, again, this is 1986. And television, girls on, on TV in the 80s, you know, they had fluffy hair and a lot of lip gloss and big bazookas, you know? And, it, you know, we didn't, I didn't fit the bill. <laughs> so it was like, this could be interesting. I don't know what this is, but let's give it a shot, you know? Did... You know, obviously a big influence on that role at the time was Gene had screened a whole bunch of movies, and one of them was Aliens in the role of Vasquez, which at the time was very new. And Tasha Yar was very much influenced by this Vasquez. Did Gene talk too much about the role, or was it more you were dealing with Rick and Maurice Hurley? And No, well, Gene, um, no, thank God Gene was there. From You know, I, I had the great privilege of um, working with the master, working with the visionary, working who, with the man who created it all. And he was, um, he would answer any question. He would elaborate if he could, but it was more a collaboration. It was like, you're this part. It's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a leap here, but when I played Rachel Creed in... Pet Cemetery. Stephen King signed my book. I brought my novel to the first table read, and he wrote on my title page, you are Rachel Creed, and Rachel Creed is you. And that's the notion that I got from, from, from uh, Roddenberry. It was like, oh no, this is yours now, so make her your own. Is that true, Gene? You know, Denise, when we first worked together back in 1986, mm-hmm. it was so wonderful to have you come in and, and become <laughs> Tasha for us. Uh, we were very, very excited to have you uh, as a member of the family. And uh, you were, uh, I believe the word was badass. Uh, and yeah. uh, we're, we were very pleased uh, for that, so thank you. <laughs> when you look back, I mean, people forget, you know, your early part of your career, 
you're going out for a lot of different roles. And now we look back and say, oh, Star Trek, you auditioned for Star Trek. But back then, it was just something that went out on breakdowns. Your agent probably called you about and said, oh, they want to see you for this new first-run syndicated TV series. I mean, did it in any way strike you as something like, well, this would be really cool. I really hope I get it. Or it was just another day auditioning for another show. Oh, it was so uncool. It, okay, so... You can imagine, I'm a young actor going to acting class, and every, nobody wants to be on TV. Now, it's hard to imagine, because TV right now is where the greatest stories are being told, you know, with the streaming and, you know, um, uh, beautiful HBO and, you know, all these, all these great uh, networks. Back then, TV was a place you went to die. If you were an actor, you wanted to do indie movies. God willing, you could be, you know, in a big, you know, feature film. But indie movies, it was the birth of indie films. And, uh, of course, theater. Stage is where you really, where it really counted. So um, I was working on an independent film called Miracle Mile, at the mm-hmm. time. The Steve Jarnett film. Steve Dijonet, you know, which had a lot of buzz, was very hot, this script. And finally, it had been around. People, everyone knew about this movie. And finally, it got the green light because Hemdale, which was an independent film company at the time, agreed to make the film the way Steve Dijonet saw it, which was not a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Everybody in Hollywood wanted a happy ending, except Steve would not make it if he had to do that. So he didn't make it for years. So I'm on the set of Miracle Mile, and I get the call to audition for a remake. I mean, it was being touted as a, a remake, a reboot. I don't even think they did said, there was no word like reboot at that point. Yeah. It was, you know, they're redoing Star Trek. And it was like, what? They're redoing Star Trek. And it's going to be the first show ever made for first-run syndication. So it had, like, the most tawdry, you know, pedigree. And I remember hiding... So when you audition for something, you have these pages. They're called sides. They're just pieces of the script. You don't have the full script. They didn't have a, give me a full script. And I had these sides that I was trying to study on the set of Miracle Mile, and I was hiding them under, like, pages because I was too embarrassed to tell, like, Anthony Edwards and Mayor Winningham and all these, like, really cool actors that I was reading for Star Trek. Because the movie is about the end of the world, and it was like, (laughs) you're thinking it's the end of my career if I do this Star Trek. And if you haven't seen Miracle Mile, it's great. Denise is great in it. Oh, you should check. You. you should check it out. I, it's hard. You probably can't get it on streaming, but the Blu-ray. Yeah, the Blu-ray. Is great. Yeah, they they did a re remake, and the extras on the Blu-ray are really fun. We got to go back and Johnny Steiner and do those. Yeah. And stop with that. Don't watch his next film, Cherry Three Thousand. Just stick no. with Miracle uh, Mile. I know, <laughs> Steve. Um, so, when you were reading for Troy, I mean, I just can't imagine those initial auditions. I feel great joy and gratitude. It just seems so not you. <laughs> uh, okay, so, you know, Junie Lowry was the casting yeah. director. And, you know, you, again, I have no script. I've not talked to anybody. And I'm playing um, a, 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 a beta, beta Z, right? Beta Z. And I'm going, okay, wh- what's a beta Z? Well, nobody can give you any answer because no one knows what a beta said. And I remember the casting director just going, just, you know, she's, she's kind of cool <laughs> and distant. And she's, she, she's psychic and empathic and, okay. Um, because the original, like, idea of Troy was that she was sort of this Icelandic you know, very almost out of a, a Ingmar Bergman movie, you know, very, very Icelandic, cold, blonde, um, couldn't read, couldn't read her emotions. And that's, that's the way it was for a while, you know? So that, I, I, I was just making stuff up. I had, you know, I had no idea what this, it didn't matter. You could do anything because yeah. it wasn't real. 
And people forget in those early auditions, all you have is the casting director. The producers aren't there. The writers aren't there. So nobody asks. It's a casting director who's maybe read the script, you know. I don't even know if there was a script yeah. at that point, you yeah. know. It was just, and very, you know, now, nowadays, everything, everyone makes you sign a non-disclosure agreement, mm -hmm. you know, very secretive. Um, back then, it was, it was really a novelty to be able to be that private and secret about, you know, but, but of course it's Star Trek, so. Do you remember I, what the, what the sides were? Do you, did they make their way into the show at some point? Oh, no, oh, that's a great, I'm so glad you asked that. So eventually the scene that I auditioned with for Gene and the producers at Paramount, when they had me switch roles and be Tasha was an amazing scene that never ended up in the series. And Marina and I talk about this to this day. So it involved, it involved Tasha seeking out Troy's counsel in her quarters. And Tasha was really distraught. Tasha was very um, insecure. And she comes to Troy saying, I'm, this is, I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of my league here. I can't do this job. This is, you guys are amazing. Everyone, every officer on here is extraordinary. And I'm unqualified to hold this position. Captain Picard is maybe the greatest leader of the Federation. And I, I know I'm, I'm just going to blow it. I'm, I'm just going to blow it. And Troy is basically talking Tasha off the ledge and um, saying, are you, wait a minute, of course you're, this, you didn't get this, you know, this is not a charity organization. You deserve this. You, you earned this. You are the best chief of security in all of the Federation. What is going on? And she goes, I just, I don't know. I'm Troy goes, Tasha, Tasha, what are you doing for fun? Fun? I don't have, wait, there's no room for fun. And Troy goes, mm, yeah, okay. You gotta go like, basically go to the bar, have a drink, go to the hollow deck, maybe have S-E-X. What? That would have to wait till the next episode. Right, <laughs> yes. Not with an android, per se, but, you know, whatever. Whatever she could get. So now you see the lineage, you know? Um, but anyway, that scene, what was so great about this scene was it was vulnerable, it was hum it humanized, and it was a scene between two women. Mm -hmm. and, and, and she had this imposter syndrome, which is so interesting, because the character had this interesting backstory that they never really serviced. So that was an, an, a door opening for me as an actor, to go, mm, she's... There's some, there's some cracks in the veneer. And I was always, as an actor, as a human being, that's what's interesting to me. I, and I, I was, part of me was being very cautious. You know, this was not 1966. This is now 1986. And people are now more aware of, you know, fragile, vulnerable people on television. And the one thing I, I didn't want to have is, you know, the crew of the Enterprise be perfect. Yeah, and it's so interesting because at the time, you're sort of told, well, it's the wake of Hill Street Blues and all the big ensemble shows. This isn't like the original Star Trek where it's the big three, where it's Kirk, Spock, and McCoy and a bunch of people who drive the ship you would all get these great stories and you would all, your characters would all be serviced. That's what I thought. And it turns out that wasn't really what happened in right. the first season. That's exactly. That's why I, I ended up leaving at the end of the first season because the 80s were, were changing. Television landscape was changing. A la Hill Street Blues is the first one that always comes to mind. I, you had multiple storylines going with multiple characters. When Gene... Uh, told me that that would not be the case for this show, mm -hmm. that it would still um, adhere to the template that he knew that Star Trek was the main three, the captain, the first officer, and Data, mm -hmm. that we would all sort of fill in. 
I went, that's not what I signed, signed up for. Right. And, and obviously that led to you leaving at the end of the first season yeah. because you weren't creatively satisfied. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, so let me ask you this, because this is an episode that I know is generally reviled now, um, which is Code of Honor. But at the time, I imagine it felt like a gift to you because you, you got a lot to do in that episode. I mean... Yes and no. Um, yes, because we're still early. I think it's episode three. Yeah, I think so. We're, we're still early in the, in the um, you know, we're all sort of figuring out how to even press a communicator badge, you know, at right. this point. I mean, I literally pulled out a phaser and went, you know, until somebody went, uh, no, you don't. They'll, they'll put in the sound effects later. And I went, oh, sorry, did I actually go, you know, it just, nothing was seemed, you know, it was like kids playing with toy gun, you know, cowboys and Indians. So, um, yes. Code of Honor, um, I kept scratching my head, going, is anyone paying attention? Is anyone, how is this script getting made? Why are we doing this? I had no protection. Nobody had my back. I was the main, you know, character in the episode. I was sort of thrown to the, to the wolves a little bit, you know, and... I kept looking around going, you know, and we had two African-American actors in our cast. And it was like, guys, I mean, it's hitting me strangely. How is this affecting you? And like now, 35 years later, 36 years later, you know, people go, they have a real visceral reaction. And there have been even... Talk, there's been even talk of removing it from the canon, which I'm totally against. Yeah. Residuals. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's my episode, damn it. Um, no, no, no. Um, you know, yes. But uh, <laughs> um, it, it, I, I'm not into cancel culture, okay? This is where we were at. The time. Yeah. Culturally. The writing of the television show was this was approved. So you need to be able to look at ourselves, you know, in a, in a mirror. Right. And, you know, hopefully get better. Do you think it, it crept up on the people in charge? No. No. So it was, it was all... It was just, a, it was just, you know... They just it, didn't think about it. It didn't, it, it, it... It wasn't, it was on deaf, deafness, you know, they didn't, they, they understood, they wanted, you know, um, to go to a, they, they thought this was a good idea, you know, and it just, um, it, it's so, it hits not only racially and the racial aspect of, you know, going to an all, uh, black planet, um, because that, just visually, just doing that in and of itself right. creates something, you know? You can read into whatever you need to do. But the fact that this man was sacrificing his wife right. to fight me to get another wife, right. is that almost is as bad Right, but devil's advocate, on paper, this is a noble race that we're meeting. Yes. And they have, uh, you know, code of honor. They have a very specific method of how they live their lives. And to boot, uh, the women run the planet. And it's, it, it seems to me that the, that the idea is okay, but that the, the, the making it real is where they faltered. Well, yeah, because you're, you're, you're divide, you know, you're separating. Yeah. It just visually, you're, you're, you're already creating that. Yeah, because it's film and that's how because you Because it's experience. film. You yeah. have all black people over here and you have all white people over here. So just, if you don't have any plot, that is... 
I believe you know, the word that is problematic. Speaks to the yeah. history yes. of the problems of this country so, yeah. and the world. Focus it a little bit on your experience, because look, we, you know, we're all in the industry. We know what you mean when you say you didn't have anybody who had your back and nobody who was looking out for you, right? But, but let's help the audience a little bit. So when you say you didn't have somebody, there was no writer on set, there was no one that you could just go and talk to and say, "I've got this question about the script." I mean, what was that process like for you? How did you? Um, how did you deal with it on set? Well, I mean, you know, I was a young actor in my first TV series as a regular. I had no uh, power of any sort, and you were you were handed a script, and you were ex you know expected to do what is asked of you. I was hired to act in the script. I wasn't hired for my. Uh, integrity. I wasn't hired for my, you know, um, criticism or, or I, ideas. You, you play Tasha Yar, this is Tasha Yar in this script. Um, what was unusual, at least from 36 years later to me, and I scratch my head, is that, you know, nobody questioned it. Mm. Yeah. Nobody questioned it. I walked around on set like going, this will never get on the air. Mm. This, this won't get on. But I think because it was syndicated, I don't think a lot of attention. We were, we were like the little, you know, sort of stepchildren of, of the bastard stepchildren of Paramount. Right. I mean, they, we had... I used to steal food from the set of Cheers, right. you know, to, to, to <laughs> like the good feed us. They, know your good name they were making dough. Yeah. We were, you know, we were like, oh my God, Our, that first year we had these, you know, crappy little trailers that they, you know, dug out of retirement in the back lot of, you know, uh, uh, San Gabriel Valley and they dusted them off and, you know, threw them on the Paramount lot. And we were... You know, the, 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 we were eating tomato slices and cremora. I mean, I, I literally remember going to the set one day and that, that was all, that was what was on the table. And working brutal hours, brutal hours. And 26 episodes a season. This yeah. is unheard of. You guys, I mean, generally back in the day, in the 80s, network television, let's say NBC, CBS, ABC, 22 episodes were ordered for a season. Now, you know, eight. Yeah. You get a 10 episode, eight episode, sometimes six episode um, story, story arc, limited series. They're called limited series. Right. So we were shooting 26 per season and you like on episode 26 went to bed and like a week later started season right. two. The murderous yeah. sketch. Yeah, it was, it was nutty. Well, and I want to ask you about that because you mentioned 26, and, but, and you also talk about how LeVar and Michael, you know, didn't have anything to say at the time about Code of Honor, but part of it is because it was such a large ensemble. People think everyone's there all the time, but they could be working two days. They may never have been on the planet. Michael to see wasn't even in that episode, right. as I recall, and I'm not sure LeVar was. Because he was 7 to 13 at the time. You know, oh, there you, know, you go. He, he wasn't even guaranteed every episode. Right. So you could have episodes... Where, which is part of your frustration, where you'd work two days on a seven-day episode and half of it was standing around at your console. Standing on that bridge, in, on that horseshoe. I actually asked the producers at a certain point, why don't you just make my legs <laughs> a model of my legs? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you know, I'm always on that horseshoe yeah. up there. But all the, you know, and Patrick and, and Marina and, and Jonathan are down here. And you've got, you know, LeVar and Brent. And you've got the screen. So just keep the camera down here. My legs will look like they're there. Because I have no dialogue. And I can go home. Yeah. So and they go, oh, Denise. I go, oh. no, I'm actually serious, yeah. man. You could just put my legs there. So during the strike, you're like, this AI thing isn't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> AI legs. I created AI <laughs> yeah, right. by my... Uh... <laughs> right. Um, that, yeah, and, and uh, so that was part of the frustration because 
you're not getting the meat, but you're still being brought in. You're not getting anything to do. And you could literally stand around all day with nothing to say. And people say, well, it's good work if you can get it. But it's not. because If you're there, you know how soul-sapping it can it be. It is. Soul-sapping is a great expression. It, it's, listen, you're grateful. Um, but you got to put it into context. The, the age I was, what I was hungry for. Um, and it wasn't like I was getting, you know, friends money. You know, we weren't getting paid a million dollars an episode. It was, you know, so you balance things out and you just go, nah, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a chance here. I'm going to take a shot because I don't want to be that old lady at the end of the day going, what if? Mm-hmm. But I'm amazed that somehow you manage to stay in their good graces. Like most people who leave a show, it's like they will, you know, they, they were awful. We were so glad they're gone, you know. And there's always, they, they feel they've been betrayed. They're not loyal. You, everyone loved you. Gene never said a bad word about you. Even Rick, you know, brought anymore. you back. I know. I, I, I don't, it, it's kind of inexplicable because you're right. You know, and by the way, had um, it not been, for the fact that Gene Roddenberry had total control of everything of the next gen, there's no way I would have been able to mm. leave. Right. right. You know, I had, a, I had an ironclad, I think it was six, maybe seven-year contract. Nobody, you can't break that contract. And Gene understood my frustration. You know, he, under, he empathized with that. He identified, he didn't want me to leave. No one wanted me to leave. But he said, I don't, I don't want you to be, you know, I want you to want to be here, basically. Yeah. And it's not going to get any better. I'd be lying to you if I, you know, told you I'm, it's going to get better. It's, this is what it is. Mm. So I'm going to, I get you and I'm going to let you go. And what's great is then there were so many good opportunities for you to come back. And in most of those cases, it was better than anything you would have gotten had you stayed. I mean, yesterday's Enterprise, I'm sure, was a gift. My God, I had to die to get the best episode, (laughs) you know? I always say that. I mean, it's just absolutely. uh, Yesterday's Enterprise is my absolute favorite. And on so many levels. I mean, the the, the writing is so good. But um, it also takes care of a lot in terms of who Tasha, you know, was and what she cared about. And, and people forget, I always think this is a lot of fun, is that you died and then came back because of the way they were shooting the episodes, right? I mean, you shot your farewell, but then you still had to, to yeah, shoot. Yeah, they had the script ready for, uh, for symbiosis. Right. First. Uh, uh, I mean... They had the episode for Skin of Evil first before, which was a gift because that would have been very hard. It was hard enough to shoot that um, hologram monologue. Um, We were all, the crew all had black armbands on that day and the we had this wonderful set costumer named Chacha Chacha Blevins and she gave me a little pillbox hat black hat with a veil oh my so I came to the set with a little funereal <laughs> veil and it was emotional I mean I you know the director was genius in that he shot me last so everybody, you know, you see Patrick's reaction and Marina's reaction and the camera. So most of the day is spent the camera facing that way on those guys. So by the time it turns around to face me in my monologue, I had cried enough because obviously I couldn't be crying when I'm delivering that monologue. And I knew it, I did it in one take, you know, with the camera on me because it was, I was ready. Well, it was the greatest memorial since uh, Mr. Spock, you know. Well, um, can I, I, I want to jump forward a, a few years uh, and talk about your involvement with Trekkies, because that's where we first met. You came to our Talk Trek show yeah. up in Sunland. Yeah. And, uh, filmed, You're braver than us. <laughs> and, and filmed, uh, you know, the segment for the, for the film. And I thought this was, this was uh, amazing fun, and I was so glad to see you involved in it. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? Wow. So Trekkies, for me, you know, obviously was a chance 
for the fans to um, have their story told. Um, I had never been to a Comic-Con. I had never been to a you know, convention until I joined the cast of Next Gen. And I was going to conventions, and I was getting a sense, after talking to many fans over the years, that there's a whole other level of thing that's going on here that people aren't aware of, the public. You know, it would be very e it was always very easy for like the local news to, you know, 11 o'clock news go, hey, everyone, you know, there's a, there's a Star Trek convention this weekend yeah. down at the convention center. Get those Spock ears out and yeah. come on down, you know. And they'd be just, you know, doofuses. And I would go, well, okay, there's that. But there's, there's this other thing that's going on. There's a sense of, of, Deep connection, camaraderie, friendship, marriages have happened, charities have sprung up. People are, are, you know, identifying with each other and feeling this sort of togetherness that sometimes they don't always feel in their lives. So, okay. So I would come back from conventions and my partner in Trekkies, Roger Nygaard, the director, um, he and I had uh, a really great friendship. We, um, I appeared in his first feature film he ever did out of film school um, called High Strung. And um, very hard to find. If you can ever get your hands on this one, it's with Jim Carrey plays the devil. You know, it's hysterical. Um, but it was produced by the Russian mafia, so it's probably not <laughs> available. Um, or you'll die if you watch it. Um, so, so anyway... Um, Roger and I stayed friends. So we were having lunch one day, and I said, God, I just came back from a, a convention. I can't believe there hasn't been a documentary. I love documentaries, by the way. I watch them all the time. Um, I can't believe there's not been a documentary about the fans. And he goes, oh, God. If I hear you say that, what? okay, you know what? We're making a documentary. Mm. I said, What? We are making a documentary? <laughs> yeah, we're going to make a documentary. We don't know how to make a documentary. Well, we're going to figure it out. It can't be that hard. <laughs> and that's what we did. Yeah, and Roger's so, such a terrific editor. I mean, oh my he, God. I mean, for a Curb Your Enthusiasm, I mean, he's just a real talent. Well, that's the gift that keeps on giving because he knew, you know, we had a budget of zero to make Trekkies, and, but he knew what he could shoot and what he didn't need. Mm. You know, he was editing as we were shooting. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, for me, somebody talked about, um, I don't know if you guys have seen, I, I just finished watching, there's a new documentary uh, on HBO um, called uh, Love Has Won. Mm. The, have anybody seen this documentary about this, the, this, uh, this cult of Mother God? Love Has Won. I highly recommend this documentary. Only three parts. But the filmmaker, a female film uh, documentarian, she said it was an exercise in empathy to make this documentary. Because people were asking, I mean, it, you watch this and you go, okay, there's nothing I've ever done that is this insane, okay? I mean... Really, it's, 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 a, it's, it's huge. It's a leap of, you know, I don't know what. But she didn't want to, she's not there to judge, you know. She's not there to make opinions of. She's there to listen and watch and learn. And that's the, 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 the intention I was, you know, I had with Trekkies. And it, it uh, let the world know of the term Brent break. Yeah. A Brent break, yeah. right? I have them all the time. <laughs> well, we have so many more questions we could ask and want to ask, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't go to the audience for a oh, Q&A. So I'm going to have to, because I got the sign that we only have a few minutes. So please go to the microphone and uh, ask, ask your away. questions. Ask away. There's Katie. Going. Oh, there we go. Oh, That's uh, your question. Cool. So my question is, 
being a, such a strong female character on Star Trek and just being a strong female in real life, what would you like people to take away from your character 10, 20, 50 years from now? Wow. Well, something like you did. Um, Katie's an Emmy award-winning uh, meteorologist. Um, oh, gosh. Went into science. Um, so, you know, the thing that has m most uh, touched me in the 36 years of talking to people at cons and all over the world is when a someone someone comes to me and they gleaned from Tasha Yar the possibilities that were that she created herself. If you, which I know you guys know probably more than I do, the background of, you know, Tasha Yar from Turkana 4, um, failed earth colony, uh, rape gangs, orphaned, uh, to be able to not only survive that, but, you know, join the Federation. Like that, that's a story I want. Like, I'm, I'm, I need to fill in that gap, you know. How did she get from Turkana 4 into the Federation? Do you guys know that? I have no idea. Oh, right. Okay. Um, <laughs> me either. I was thinking about this the other. It, this is funny how I still think, you know, I'll be sitting around going, wait a minute, how did that happen? That's an amazing, you know, feat. But that's, that's the story that, you know, is so compelling to me, that she represents um, that notion that with, with, you know, grit and determination and, and strength and survival, you know, you can do anything. Thank you. Thank so when are you going to write the novel? I know, right? The Tasha Yar story. <laughs> so uh, I have always been wondering whether or not uh, it was particularly fulfilling to reprise your role for um, Phase 2. Star Trek Phase 2. I don't even know if anybody knows what that is, but it was fun to watch. Oh, my gosh. Wait a minute. Now, the, the fan film? The fan yeah. film. Yes. Blood and Fire. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. So that, you know, because George, George Takei and Walter um, were the ones who had kind of stepped forward in that and were telling me how amazing these guys are with their, you know, in, in uh, Ticonderoga, they, yeah. you know, have this amazing um, recreation of, of the Enterprise and, and they, they just are amazing and they're fun to work with. So I said, okay, you know, let's check it out. And for me, it was like this meta moment, you know, it was like they were fans making a film of the show that I was on, but now I was going back in to help them make a film of the film that they, you know, it was just like I was chasing my tail a little bit. It was, it was really cool. It was, it was fun to do. And that was a famous script that uh, David Gerald had written David for Gerald. Next Gen. That's right. That had been killed and that, he finally got to see. Exactly. You know, they were in the 80s, I think there were... Um, two gay men that fell in love in the crew yep. and they wanted to do it, but then they didn't. Gene they got... said he wanted to do it. Right. Okay. I think it... Uh, pulled the plug. Other, other forces uh, uh, there sort you of go. pulled it. Yeah, you know, this is, it seems like, huh? I mean, but, but the 80s, you know, that was, that was, it was still the, the battle. Yeah. But there was a lot of good things about the 80s for you young kids. Oh, my God. <laughs> a lot God. of good things. Good guys always You saw so strange things. Way. You know, it was like that. You oh, know. you know, there was, there were, there were those hair bands, you know, and right. flock of seagulls and, you know, all kinds of good stuff, man. There was so much good stuff in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Hi. So Star Trek has always been the one constant in my self-harm recovery journey. And I've asked everybody I've met today, um, the guys on Next Gen are goofballs. What's your favorite set story of Jonathan, Bran, or any of them? Of those goofballs? Of those goofballs. Oh, my God. They were hysterical. But, I okay, one of my favorite Jonathan stories... Um, 
So there was a really big earthquake in L.A. Um, I think it was 86. Yeah. Northridge? Yep. Yeah. No, Northridge was 90. No, no, no. Oh, the first one. There was the a, first, first one. First yeah, one. Okay, no. But we're talking, there was another one that, okay. So Frakes and I were the only actors called to set that morning. And um, we were in the makeup trailer with Michael Westmore. And so, Jonathan, um, we were all given, remember I mentioned Cha-Cha Blevins? We were all given robes from the, the, the big, wonderful warehouse of Paramount costuming. Um, robes to wear over our spacesuits so we wouldn't get powder, obviously Brent, you know, and all kind, you know, while they were touching us up. <clears throat> Mine was a beautiful old, like men's 40s, satin striped, you know, like Clark Gable would wear. Jonathan's was a hot pink 70s <laughs> women's chenille bathrobe, like five sizes too small, okay? He couldn't wrap it around, he couldn't close it, he wore it open. And the sleeves, you know, went up to the elbow. And, but he wore that thing with pride. So we're in the makeup trailer that morning of that earthquake. And Jonathan is at the bowl, the water bowl, shaving. Remember, he used to shave. And I'm in Michael Westmore's makeup chair. And suddenly, you can imagine, it's a trailer, metal trailer. And it's like... And you hear... You hear the people in Paramount Studios, earthquake, earthquake. And we all go, you know, running out to clear whatever is going to happen. And it's over as soon as it starts, yeah. you know. It's so quick. It feels forever, but it's over quick. So, Jonathan, I look, and he's got half a face of shaving cream. <laughs> and he's in the pink robe. And suddenly... I have entertainment tonight with the microphone in my face. <laughs> and they said, hi, this is, you know, Allison Jones, and I'm with Entertainment Tonight, and I'm standing here at the Paramount lot with Denise Crosby from Star Trek The Next Generation. Denise, what? We just had an earthquake. What just happened? I said, oh, you know what? You need to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, without missing a beat, just goes with this full, you know, shaving cream and pink rope, just goes, well, it was really scary, Allison. But, you know, as you can see, we're all okay and everything's going to be okay. I was on the floor. The man will do anything. He has no shame. A couple, about a half an hour later, Patrick shows up. It's his call. Patrick is just bought a new car, probably the first new car he's ever bought in his life, because he's actually making a little money. So he's bought a Jaguar, okay? So he comes to the set, and he walks in, he goes, oh, God, this bloody car, this Jaguar, I'm taking it back. I'm taking it back. It's a piece of crap. Is it? what happened? What, what, what's going on? With the damn thing, I'm driving down Melrose and it's shaking. <laughs> it's shaking. I just bought the bloody thing. I just, I'm taking it back today. It's a piece of crap. Oh my God. No, Jonathan, uh, Patrick, you were in an earthquake. We just had an earthquake. An earthquake. An earthquake? What on bloody hell is an earthquake? <laughs> Welcome to L.A., Patrick. Oh Funny, he, he didn't put that story in his memoir. No. Probably doesn't remember it. I remember it very clearly. Hi, I, did, I have sort of a two-parter. Um, you mentioned you were going for, or for Troy. You had auditioned for her. If you had gotten Troy, do you think you would have enjoyed playing her? And would you have stayed on the show, do you think? I mean, it's a what if, but you're, you know, your best. I guess. mean, I, I would love the role of Tasha Yar. Mm -hmm. I, I don't even, I can't even think about, you know, Troy. I mean, 
and again, everything it was predicated on on the writing, on the use of the character, on the integration in the stories. So um, it, that it, it, I would have played the doorknob, you know, if it if the doorknob you know, talked and had, mm-hmm. you know, stuff to say and do. But, you know, that's that's what it comes down to. So it really, hard to know. Yeah. Um, I, I I just can't imagine not playing Tasha Yar, though. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank well, you. I so wish we had had time because I really wanted to, you've had such a successful career as a character actor working on all these great shows, you know, from Walking Dead to Suits, which apparently is everyone's favorite show now. Um, so Who knew? We didn't get to talk about any of that, but we'll have to do it again. But thank you so much. And please stay, I guess, as is the tradition here at GalaxyCon, they take a selfie with Denise here. She'll be on stage, and then you'll be behind her. But thank you so much. This was fantastic. It is my Appreciate pleasure. It. Thank you, guys. Beautiful. I start off, start, have a great con. I started you off on uh, Friday night. And come to my table. Come say hi. I'll be here all weekend. I love that Black Christmas song that she played in a punk band. That's just so funny. It's nuts, though. I love it. Talk about rebelling against your family. Yeah. And also being at this age, so self-aware of what it really amounted to and kind of how silly it was. Um, It was just interesting. I mean, that was kind of the the theme of, uh, of that conversation with her rebellion against the family. Could you imagine if she had played Troy and Marina had, well, Marina would have been terrible as, uh, as Yar. Um, But she could have been a really interesting Troy. I would have felt joy and gratitude or something. Well, it would have had, it would have been a lot more edgy. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. It's I, interesting too that, you know, Jean saw her and thought, oh my God, this is Vasquez and Aliens. This is what I want. Because that's all Yara was, was Vasquez and Aliens. It, it's so funny to hear Denise talk about the backstory. Because, you know, yes, that backstory is mentioned in the show. And I kind of forgot about it. But the backstory is really interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like a couple years later, if they had been writing that character, that could have been a great character. Oh yeah, for sure. When they started really focusing on who the characters were and really truly giving the ensemble, you know, uh, episodes that were about them. I mean, there is lots and lots and lots of meat on that bone to like to to work out really interesting stories about her and really just make that character sing. So it's, I mean, not that she didn't get one of the best character stories of all time. Okay, well, so she got that. She got yesterday's Enterprise. So you know, be thankful. But I, uh, yeah. I, I loved her uh, her comments about her uh, working on the bridge. I think if if I ever have a punk band, it's going to be called Denise Crosby's Legs, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, hearing her say that well, they should just build my legs and have them there so that I don't have to be on set all the time, uh, which is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, and it's always fun hearing her talk about Skinny Evil. And Peter and Lisa did a great. Um, commentary on, on Trexford's briefing room with her about Skinny Evil. And uh, she's equally candid there in talking about uh, that, uh, that episode. That experience, yeah. And Armis. Armis. He, he, he got out of the tunnels underneath New York. That's right. What are we going to do Lex a panel Luthor with Armis? That's my became, he's, uh, he's passed away, unfortunately. Oh, that's too bad. Well, yeah, because you know what Ar- Armis is named after Bert Armis, who was a yeah. writer on the show, but used to be a New York City police officer. And, and a Superman is the same Bert Armis. Yeah. Right. A, a, and a, 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 uh, a uh, on-set advisor for police activity. And yeah. Uh, yeah, he was on Superman the movie, and they named that character after him. Yeah, and then they named uh, the evil oil slick in Skin Evil after the same Armis, who is now a writer. He was the number two guy to Maurice Hurley. Right who was the, the de facto showrunner at that point. Um, so, it's so bizarre. What an interesting career. Yeah. Um, very few people ever interviewed him, but Ed Gross interviewed him, and it's a great interview um, with Burton Armis. He not, was not a fan. A lot of people in those early seasons were not fans. 
It's funny. You had people who didn't give a shit about Star Trek, and then you had the diehards who absolutely love Star Trek. But there was not a lot of middle ground. Um, right. Certainly that's not for all. next generation. No, not at all. Not at all. But I, you know, it's funny. I wonder what that show would have been like had, had Tasha, had Tasha, had Denise not left. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that was, I, I think that was the best decision she ever made, honestly. Because Although she uh, seems to regret it because she says, yeah, you, all, you know, she had just the same thing that uh, Michelle Forbes did. Well, I'm going to go off right. and do features now. Right. And then it didn't happen. I mean, but also the reason to, I think, I don't know if, you know, look, you make choices in your life and then, you know, regret is a luxury belief. But, you know, the, I, I think we kind of hit it before, right? The the thing to regret about that choice was what she wished for, which was, you know, uh, writing and for stories that were centered on the, the characters who weren't Picard, Riker, and Data came true, right? That wish was granted, but it was granted later. Yeah. And that was a thing that she that she missed out on. She certainly benefited from it, but but uh, you know, it's uh, that to me, if I were in her shoes, would be the sort of the bittersweet nature of the choice. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. And I think you know, she was at a point where she didn't really realize that, like, give it time. You know, first season, the show was still finding itself, and that. But you know, she went to Roddenberry, and Roddenberry said, "Look, the show's never going to change." So Roddenberry cemented her perception. He said, this is always going to be about the big three, just like the original show. And, you know, you're always going to be window dressing. And, you know, maybe you'll be heavier in one episode than another, but it's not going to change that dramatically. And, it, you know, at that point, you know, it was pretty soul-sapping for her. Um, you know, she wanted to go on and, 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 and act, tell stories, be creative. And she didn't feel she was being creative uh, standing behind the horseshoe and that's well, and, you know it's understandable to be fair, all the all the actors were feeling that way about the show they were uncertain and uh didn't know where it was going to go and even patrick stewart was uh you know expecting to be fired any minute yes awaiting or awaiting cancellation yeah and that yeah, the cancellation in terms of the show going off the air not in terms of right saying the wrong thing and being told which which um so anyway uh, great episode. So great to talk to Denise. Again, this is a wonderful time uh, uh, back in December at GalaxyCon where we had the chance to sit down with her. And uh, thanks to uh, Mike Broder and his whole team for making us feel so welcome. And we'll be uh, embarking on the Inglorious Live 2024 tour soon. We hope you'll see us at one of the conventions that we'll be visiting throughout the year. Um, and uh, we're always happy to see our listeners some more than others, and uh, <laughs> it'll be a, a good time had by all. So um, special thanks to Mark Rivera and Peter Holmstrom. Uh, we also want to remind you that you can uh, uh, continue to support our documentary as Terry Farrell and the Trexperts visit Star Trek's greatest locations to bo into Boldly Go by going to makethetrek.com. That's makethetrek.com to support the making of this essential documentary. And of course, if you want to support this essential podcast, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and bring new listeners to the show. You can even subscribe to our subscriber-only podcast, Deck 78, at Trexperts Plus, um, plus experience our new Discord channel and the Trexpert screening room. And uh, let us know what you think of this and every Inglorious Trexperts episode on social at Inglorious Track and Inglorious Trexperts on all social channels or email us at trexpertsplus at gmail.com. So... On behalf of Ashley Edward Miller, Darren R. Doctorman, take off the R for savings, and Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking, ingloriously, of course. See you next Thursday. <laughs>